Hi, this is Richard Swartz with Information Security and Media Group, publishers of BankInfoSecurity.com and CUInfoSecurity.com. Today we'll be speaking with David Nelson, an examination specialist with a total of 21 years with the FDIC, who served 13 years as a safety and soundness examiner, three years as a compliance examiner, two years as an IT examiner, and three years as an examination specialist at the FDIC Washington headquarters in the technology supervision and anti-money laundering terrorist financing branches. Good day, David. Hey, how are you doing? Doing well. Can you tell us a little bit more about your role in the FDIC, and could you explain how the FDIC is tracking cyber fraud? Sure. Um, recently, uh, I've become more of an analyst. Before, I was uh, an examiner, as you, as uh, you well know, but uh, now I've turned into more of a an analyst where I um, uh, review a lot of information. Information that comes from the, uh, FinCEN in the form of uh, uh, FinCEN SARS that uh, financial institutions submit. Um, I also review uh, quite a bit of open source information that comes in um, from the newspaper, or from the Department of Homeland Security, or from FBI. There's various uh, open source um, intelligence uh, sources of information that I can use. Also, um, I, uh, of course, we have information from uh, FDIC examiners that they submit in, in the form of uh, examinations and visitations, and we have that database uh, that I have access to. Mm, let's see. Uh, also, uh, there's you know basically there's a lot of reports out there that are uh, prepared by other government agencies that we monitor. So uh, I sort of gather as much information as I can, analyze it, and determine what kind of uh, risks there are to the FDIC. Um, another another way that we, we work is that sometimes we get uh, congressional inquiries uh, or um, inquiries from um, bank uh, industry groups. So we, we need to kind of uh, search through our databases to find the information that they're looking for. And well, The way that I do that is each quarter I go ahead and prepare a um, cyber fraud and financial crime report. And that is based on the same type of information I just uh, told you about. the. But uh, one of the good sources is um, the FinCEN SAR data. I have access to their database, database and what I do is um, download the information into Excel spreadsheets, and I try to um, sample the data. I can't uh, necessarily go in and look at all the SARs since there's thousands and thousands of them. What I usually do is uh, take a uh, statistical sampling um, to try to obtain like 90% confidence, uh, confidence levels and uh, so the samples, um, I sample maybe four or five categories each quarter. And then uh, hopefully over a year or two, I'll be sa have sampled all the different SAR, category, uh, SAR categories. And so um, we use that data to, uh, to track, the, uh, track cyber fraud. And, and each quarter, it seems to change. It seems like it's a very good way to uh, gauge the data because it's information that's supplied by banks uh, based on their records. All banks need to report SAR data, uh, not just banks, but uh, credit unions and, and money service businesses, insurance companies. They all submit this data, which uh, we mine and uh, try to calculate what the uh, average losses are and the total losses are to the financial institutions. So that's that's kind of how we track um, track the uh, current the current trends in, in cyber fraud and financial crime. Now, a lot of the literature recently has been discussing identity theft as the number one concerning banks, number one threat of facing banks, I should say. 
but is, it, is this really the number one concern facing financial institutions, or are other threats looking like they're more prominent? Well, this is identity theft is a significant threat, um, and the reason for that is because uh, it impacts so many different kinds of financial institutions. Any financial institution that originates loans, consumer loans, mortgages, or has um, deposit accounts is going to um, be at risk from identity theft. Um, however, it's not the greatest overall risk currently. Currently, um, counterfeit uh, debit and credit cards seem to be the, um, the greatest threat to financial institutions right now. However, if the financial institution doesn't issue credit cards, um, then their, their risk may be lessened somewhat. Um, another risk that we currently are uh, seeing is the mortgage uh, fraud threat, uh, and that's very high. However, there are some institutions that do not uh, issue mortgages. They don't originate mortgages, um, so that, that wouldn't be a, a huge threat to them. So depending on what the, the financial institutions uh, uh, offerings are what their product lines are um you know c identity theft could be the number one threat to them um however if they're uh issuing credit cards uh or mortgages then uh, those two areas are are of great concern well, you mentioned credit card and debit card fraud speaking of that problem what has been the impact of the TJX data theft incident on the financial institutions the TGX uh, data theft was discovered um, in late 2006, and in the first quarter of 2007, we saw a huge increase in the um, counterfeit debit and counterfeit credit card reports from banks. Uh, in all of 2006, uh, counterfeit debit and credit card fraud losses were in the area of around $90 million. However, during the first quarter of 2007, we saw that jump to almost $700 million. So a lot of that had to do with um, the TJX uh, break-in. Um, however, there were still other areas or other um, uh, compromises that uh, added to that number. So it wasn't strictly TJX. There were a lot of other smaller uh, companies that got hacked into and uh, had their data uh, card data compromised. Um, there's also some skimming going on that that's uh, skimming occurs quite a bit, but it's uh, the, the amount of losses are, are smaller just simply because uh, a person who is skimming card data using one of those handheld devices um, doesn't get that many cards. Uh, but however, if a hacker is able to uh, break into a large data center or a large um, merchant, they're able to um, steal a lot more credit cards than uh, than someone who was skimming. Um, there's also a lot of unknown um, unknown sources of counterfeit cards. In other words, there's um, unauthorized charges on the card, uh, but there's no explanation yet. They still haven't determined how that card information was compromised or skimmed, so it's reported as sort of an unknown category, and that's. Uh, that's roughly half of the uh, half of the uh, frequency, half of the number of SARS reported are unknown. However, overall, the the compromises from or, or compromises at retailers such as TJX uh, are are certainly the highest uh, percentage of losses suffered by, by the institutions. 
was wondering if you could quickly tell us how much impact has the October 2005 FFIEC guidelines on authentication had on financial institutions? Well, that's it's tough to gauge right now since it, uh, the, the deadline went into effect uh, on uh, December 31st of 2006. So banks have had uh, a, a one quarter or, or six months now of uh, under the requirement. And the first indications are that uh, this authentication um, guidance is working. It seems to like it seems to um, be that the um, losses suffered, or I'm sorry, losses that are being reported by financial institutions related to ID theft has declined significantly. Um, and the reason behind that decline is because there are fewer uh, identity theft uh, incidents and losses related to deposit account. Uh, account takeover uh, and unauthorized access to those accounts. Um, and generally, we, we know that um, things like phishing or, or data compromises can cause uh, consumer or customer information to be compromised, and scam artists can use that data to, um, uh, to access the customer's account and then transfer funds. So uh, we've seen ID theft declining, and the... Uh, most significant area in that decline is is in a deposit account area. So we're seeing um, banks doing a better job of authenticating customers before they uh, are able to access their account or uh, transfer funds. Um, let's see what else is happening in that area. Um, the problem now we see is is uh, less in the deposit accounts, but um, in account uh, loan account openings. Uh, there's still a, a problem with uh, data compromises uh, in not necessarily retailers, but also with um, uh, universities or bus other businesses or um, perhaps healthcare uh, businesses that contain that hold a lot of customer information, uh, just like a bank's information. Uh, that data can be compromised in some way and then used to open up a, a loan account. So we are seeing, still seeing credit card loans and. Uh, Consumer loans that are that are um, impacted by identity theft. However, overall, identity theft seems to be um, being controlled uh, at least for the first quarter. Um, that information changes as soon as the hackers determine a new way to um, compromise a authentication system or authentication method. They'll do so, and so um, it could be a different story in another few months uh, if if. Um, uh, fishers and hackers find another way around uh, the stronger authentication. It's always um, it's always a cat and mouse game with uh, with the hackers and uh, with you know trying to have the banks uh, try to stay one step ahead of them. It's very difficult. Let's change gears for a second. As an examiner, what skills do you look for in assessing the capabilities of a financial institution's information security officer? What skills do they really need to have? Well, they need to have skill. The first thing they need to do is to be independent. They need to have independence uh, so that they can uh, objectively take a look at uh, access levels. Um, look, they have to be able to look at the uh, uh, the, the employees' uh, activities online. Um, there's, there's a lot of different things, and some of them also have uh, other duties. Quite often, if they're independent, then they're also used, say, to... Um, conduct uh, compliance audits or IT audits 
or something along those lines. Um, so knowing that they're they're busy people, uh, they should probably have good time management skills. Uh, they have to have the ability to uh, cover a lot of ground, especially if they're they are um, they have other duties in the audit area or in the uh, compliance area or in the money laundering area. So um, that's the first thing is independence. Second thing is uh, uh, is time management skills. And the third thing is to ha- to have experience and training. Uh, they need to have. Um, uh, it depends. The, the training needs to be uh, risk based. I mean, risk based, and also needs to be um, uh, based on needs. It should be uh, needs based training that they have. So if they have numerous duties to um, to take care of, then uh, they need to have training in all those different areas. So uh, it all depends. Each institution is different. Um, some are large institutions. Uh, some are small institutions where the security officer wears many different hats, uh, and so the, the training and skills requirements are, are different in each instance. So really, we're going to take a look at their assignments and uh, look at uh, um, their experience and, and training um, based on what their assignment is. How important are information security certifications to the FDIC, and which certifications do you emphasize? Well, I have a... Uh, uh, Certified Information Systems Auditor uh, designation, and also the Systems Information um, Certified Information Systems Security Professional certifications. And uh, I find both of them are very helpful for me. Uh, I'm sort of a generalist. I don't, uh, I'm not able to, uh, or I'm not required to know specifics about certain systems, um, certain computer systems, or certain uh, computer networks. Um, it, I can, with a general certification, it's, it's easier to go from one shop to the next. Um, however, some some uh, some institutions may want their uh, their computer security people to have uh, specific certifications, such as uh, uh, Microsoft or perhaps Unix or something along those lines. But um, I think that having a general a general knowledge that's provided by the CISA and the CISSP are best because uh, it's general and you can apply them to uh, any kind of uh, either network or mainframe uh, security system. Well, very interesting information. I'm sure it will be very useful to our listeners. So thank you for your time today, David. All right. Well, thank you very much, and I appreciate your uh, giving me a call today. Well, thank you for listening to another podcast with Information Security Media Group. To listen to a selection of other podcasts or to find other educational content regarding information security for the banking and finance community, you can visit www.bankinfosecurity.com or www.cuinfosecurity.com.